beginning a series today called God Sightings. How many of you have ever had God show up in your life? Well, I hope that before this series is over that everybody can raise their hand and say, you know what, God has shown up in my life at some point. Now, here's what I found out about when God shows up. He does not usually show up the way that we think that he ought to show up. There are those moments where he shows up and he does things that we don't want him to do and then there are other times we want him to do things and he doesn't show up and he doesn't come and we have to begin to figure all of this out. So I want to encourage you today, take your Bibles, go to the book of John, the 11th chapter. And as you're turning there, let me greet the campuses today that are joining with us. We're glad you're with us today. And I'm believing that as the Word of God is preached that you are going to begin to be entranced and brought into what God has for you today and the Word of God is going to speak to you there as well as here. The book of John the 11th chapter beginning in the first verse this is a very very familiar passage of Scripture you're going to know it if you've been to church very many times at all it says now a certain man was sick Lazarus of Bethany the town of Mary and her sister Martha it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with the fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair whose brother Lazarus was sick Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Now, when you begin to read Scripture, what you find is that Mary and Martha and Lazarus were good friends of Jesus. They were the, they were the people that put Jesus up when he brought his ministry team to town. They were, they were, you know, they were the supporters. They were monthly supporters. I'll keep moving. I mean, they, they, uh, they were the ones who, if Jesus needed something, he could call on them and, and they, would, they would respond. They were there. Uh, the scripture lets us know that this was the Mary who had anointed his feet on and on and on. I mean, I mean, they were tight. They were close. And so all of a sudden, Lazarus gets sick and they send word to Jesus. Jesus, Lazarus is sick. The one whom you love, uh, you, you need to come back and, and heal him. Look in verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sisters and her sister and Lazarus. The next verse is one of the most incongruent scriptures I believe in all the word of God. We've just found out that these are the people who are the tightest with Jesus. I mean, they are the people who in Jesus's life that Jesus had refrigerator rights. You understand the term refrigerator rights? Those are your friends who just walk in the door, and if they want something to eat, they just go to the refrigerator and they get it out. They don't ask you, what have you got in there? They just go and start pilfering and pull out stuff and say, oh, the, the date has expired on this, and they throw it away for you. <laughs> right? And that's the kind of friends that Mary and Martha and Lazarus were with Jesus. Jesus just hung out with them, and they send him word, and, and, and they say, Lazarus is sick. You need to show up. You need to come and do something. Now, I want to tell you something. If you are in my life, and, and we hang out together, and, and we're buddies and pals, and you've got refrigerator rights in my life, if I send you word that I'm sick, I expect you to show up. I mean, I expect you to come, and I don't mean tomorrow. I mean right now. And, and the fifth verse says, explains to us how much Jesus loved them. And then the sixth verse is just one of the weirdest verses in Scripture. Here's how much I love you. So then he heard that he, when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Does anybody find that a little ironic besides me? 
I mean, if you really love me, show up. I mean, if you hear I'm in the hospital, come see me. If you hear I'm about to die, come do last rites. Do something. I mean, show up. I love you. I love you. Oh, Lazarus, I love you. Two more days. Here's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about when God is silent. You ever had those moments in your life where you've asked God for something and he didn't respond? I know I'm not the only one. I, I, I just know good and well that there are many of us who are listening today who we've asked God for things. We've spoken. We've said, Lord, that one whom you love is sick. And it's kind of like he said, I'm going to stay here and party a little bit longer. I'm not coming. And, and our problem with that is, is that a lot of times when that happens and when God is not speaking to us, uh, we, we begin to determine, well, if he's not speaking and he's not answering, then he must not love me anymore. Now, I don't know about you, but, but I, have, I have tried to help God out on many occasions. I mean, there, there are a lot of times when I pray, I already know how he ought to handle it. I mean, it's, it's already, now, Lord, here's the problem, oh, and I know you're really busy. Here's the solution. If, if you could just do these five things in a row here and just kind of handle that, it would be wonderful, and, and I won't take too much of your time because I've already got it figured out. And so I bring this stuff, and I go, here it is, God, and sometimes he stays two more days. And I don't know about you, when, when that happens in my life, I begin to wonder about some things. Have you ever had crises in your life with your walk with Jesus? In fact, I would dare say this. I would dare to say that there are some of you listening to me today that the reason you're not walking in fellowship with Jesus today is because he didn't show up when you thought he ought to. And so because of that moment, because of that instance, maybe you went through a sickness, maybe, uh, maybe you prayed and, and you said, God, I want you to heal my marriage, and your marriage still went through a divorce. Maybe in the last few years in, in this economy that we've been going through, maybe you asked God, God, I, I need a better job or I just need a job, and, and, and you didn't get it, and it didn't happen. And so now there's all these things going on in your mind and in your spirit, and and, and you kind of show up at church sometimes, but, but there's always this question kind of in the back of your mind. And so today, I, I, I want to show you when God is silent, it causes some things to happen inside of us. And, and, and I kind of want to share some of those with you today. Look in verse 21. The first thing that it causes in our life, it says, Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Have you ever told the Lord things like that? I have. I mean, I've gone to him and said, Lord, if I, I know you've got the power. I mean, I've prayed for people before to be healed, and they didn't get healed. I spoke the word over them. I confessed every scripture I knew till my confessor wore out. I listened to every word of faith preacher I could hear. I did everything they told me to do. And I'm, I'm making some of you nervous. And God still did not do what I thought that he ought to do. And it was kind of just like Martha. Lord, if you'd been here, 
If you just would have shown up, this situation wouldn't have died. See, the first thing when God is silent that it causes in our life is it causes accusation. Now, and I want to tell you, whether you, whether you will admit it or not today, every one of us have accused God at some time. I mean, it started in the very beginning of time. Uh, you, you know, Adam, Adam and, that, and, and that whole serpent thing and, and Eve and all that uh, whole thing that took place there. R- remember when it finally boils down to it, Adam goes, well, it's that woman you gave me. Some of y'all still been trying that and it doesn't work any better now than it did then. But I mean, what's Adam saying? He was saying, if you'd, if you'd given me a better wife. So he's accusing God. It's not anything new, it's continued. And what's interesting to me is, is how often that, that that happens in the life of Christians. And when it happens to us, when, when we actually respond in that way, then we have people show up in our life and say, oh, you should never question God. Really? Well, then why didn't he give you a lobotomy the day you got saved? Go read the book of Job. Job questions God time and time again. You say, yes, but God told him not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Job got in trouble not when he questioned God. Job got in trouble when he charged God foolishly. I mean, why is it in every aspect, in education, in every aspect of life, in science, in, in any knowledge, we, we teach people to question, and then when it comes to the kingdom of God, we say, oh, just put your brain on neutral and, and just kind of coast through. Do, do you realize that whatever your accusation against God is, that he's been doing this a long time and it does not shake him? I, I mean, I don't, I don't want to rock your world, but he's had better than you accuse him. I mean, he's had some of them. I mean, he had Satan himself show up, you know. And, and, and so when that happens a lot of times, what, what happens in our lives is, is that we, we have that moment or we have those days or whatever it is that, that we're in this, Lord, if you'd just shown up. And then we, we get in this place of feeling guilty and we run and we get away from God and, and we, we kind of sever our relationship with him. Instead of understanding that this is just a natural part of dealing with this walk of faith. Look in verse 23. Verse 23 and 24 said, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. The second thing that it causes when God is not speaking to you is that it causes you to doubt. I mean, understand, standing right before her is what the scripture calls the resurrection and the life. I mean, life incarnate is standing right in front of her. But she has fallen into such a place of doubt that she cannot believe that he's able and that he's bigger than our pro- her problem. Have you ever had some problems that you thought God couldn't, could not handle? I mean, you just thought that they were so overwhelming, so great, so powerful that, that well, Lord, if you had been here yesterday, but today it's gotten so bad, even you can't do anything. That's where she is. And and I want to be really forthright with you this morning. As a pastor, I have my moments of doubt. And maybe I shouldn't tell you that. Maybe maybe I should not uh, release that 
into your spirit. But, but I want you to understand that, that just because you have doubt does not mean you don't have faith. In fact, I don't really know my faith until I understand my doubt. Do you know that you really can't love until you understand hate? And in fact, some of those people that you love the most, some moments. Right? And, and the aspect is, is that it's easy, it's easy when you are not in the crucible of the moment to walk into somebody's life and to say, if you would just have more faith, Don't you just love those people? Well, if you just would have prayed more, if you would have just read the Word more, if you had just gone to church more. Man, I grew up in a day where you went to church, you'd have three-week revivals and you went every day. I mean, I've gone to church more than I ever have to go. If you, you know, I, was, I was thinking recently, and, and again, I, I'm, I, I promise you I'll turn this to a positive note, but I want you to get it. I was thinking the other day of a situation that came about and people were praying and the situation didn't change and, and, and I thought, well, what was it? Could, could, would just one more person praying made a difference? And I thought, well, that doesn't make sense. No, one more. Well, if we had had more faith. Well, what is more faith? How do we, and and I, I finally came to that place of saying, you know what? I don't think I understand this. I don't know why God didn't show up the way that I thought that he was going to show up. See, there are moments in your walk with Jesus Christ that you're going to have some doubt. But your doubt does not stop the moving of his spirit. And we'll see that in just a minute. Don't be afraid or don't be shook up because there are moments of doubt in your walk with God. When God's not speaking, when God is silent, all of us question at that moment, God, where are you? Are you going to show up? Are you going to heal my marriage? Are you going to touch my child? Are you, are, are you going to give me a job? Lord, where are you? Look in verse 32. And Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, and she fell down at his feet, saying to him, I mean, the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 33, therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. In fact, this is the, this is the place where it says Jesus wept. See, the third thing when God is silent that it causes in the life of humanity is that it causes discouragement. Have you ever been discouraged in your walk with God? Have you ever had times that you, you didn't want to go to church? I'll hold my hand up. In fact, there have been days if you weren't paying me, I wouldn't be here. I'd go to the beach. I'd find a flight to Hawaii. I'd do something. Not the Philippines. I mean, I mean I'd, I, th th there are those moments that you're just discouraged. And, and I think that, I mean, when you read this scripture, it said that even Jesus is groaning in his spirit. I mean, they are so discouraged that they get Jesus discouraged. 
And I want to tell you, when you are so discouraged that God gets discouraged, you're pretty upset. And yet in those moments when God's not speaking and he's not talking to you, there, there, there are those times that you just don't feel like you're going to be able to make it. But I want to let you know this morning, that's not where the story ends. And so I want to show you, you've got to remember some things when you're going through those moments when God is silent. Let's go back up to verse 4. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Number one, remember this, our lives are for his glory. Don't miss that. The Bible says that you were created, that you were made in the likeness and the image of God, that you were made to bring glory to God. So even in the toughest of times, your life still brings glory to God. I mean, the, the Word of God lets us know that even the earth brings God glory. I mean, as you travel the world, as, as you look at, at what God has created, as you, as you look at the oceans and you see the deserts and you see the mountains and the valleys and, and the Grand Canyon and all the great things that you see, I mean, I, I am in awe when I see the glory of God through nature. And then somebody wants to come along and tell me that, well, you know, there was a big explosion a gazillion, million, bazillion years ago and out of a primordial ooze of something, you became a one-cell amoeba that multiplied till you got a tail and hung off the tree and one day the tail fell off and woo! Now I want to tell you, that takes more faith than believing in a creator as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I'm sorry. I, I think anybody that can really buy into evolution has much more faith than a person who believes in a creator. I mean, that's, that's like getting, you know, a bunch of nuts and bolts and tires and throwing them in your garage and five years later go back out there and there's a brand new car sitting there. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's going to work for you. Uh, you know, and, and so when I, when I see what God has created... It lets me know that everything he has created is to bring him glory. It's to bring glory to God. And here's the interesting thing about that. Is that if I am the created and he is the creator, then he's in charge and I'm not. Don't miss it. Your life is to bring glory to God. And even if it's bringing glory to God through suffering. Now, I, I know it's more fun to preach what well, God's going to always deliver you and He is always going to bless you and He is always going to do great things. And, and we love to read the first part of the book of Hebrews, the 11th chapter. By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. But read the last part. It talks about them wandering in the wilderness. It talks about them hanging out in caves. It talks about them being sawn asunder. It talks about them giving, not even loving their life unto death. And you want to tell me that that person who gave their life for the cause of Jesus Christ does not bring him glory just as much as the one that God delivers. Now, I, I understand. In every one of our lives, when we hear something like that, here's the response. In fact, every parent in here has heard this. How many of you as parents, in fact, let me just ask you, how many of you are parents? Hold your hands up real quick. 
All right, how many of you have heard your child or your children say this to you? Because it, it, it's inbred in them. They're all born with this. You don't have to teach it to them. Here it is. Something happens. You start to do something or whatever, and they say, but mom, but dad, it's not fair. Oh, so you do have kids. <laughs> it's not fair. How often have we gone to God and said, God, it's not fair. And yet he is the creator. I am the created. I am to bring him glory. Teenagers, let me tell you, if you will live your life to bring glory to God, it will be the greatest adventure you've ever been on. It won't always be fun. It won't always be easy. Those of us who've lived a little bit longer know that. But I want to tell you, it is the greatest life to live when you live a life to bring glory to God. Look at verse 12. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, this is when, when the Lord had said to him, he's sleeping. They said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. And then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. The second thing that we have to always keep in mind is, is that our understanding is limited. In fact, the Bible says it this way. It says, now we see through a glass darkly. I, I, I can remember years ago, this, is, this takes us way back to the, uh, you know, to the pioneer days. How many of you remember when you used to get Coke for a nickel? Boy, y'all are getting old. You, you remember those little bottles that Cokes used to come in? And you remember, number one is they, they tasted better. I don't explain it. I don't know. Those of you who are younger don't get it. But they tasted different. They was, there was more potent or something. Had more kick, kept me awake better, something. But the bottom, way back in the day, the bottom of that thing was like this. I mean, you could hold it up and, look, and, and try to look through it on something else. And you, you see a shadow of things, but you couldn't really see it. That, that's what the Scripture says about our lives. We see through a glass darkly but one day face to face and so what I have to come to an understanding of today is this is that when I can't see his hand I can always trust his heart when his hand of deliverance has not shown up when he he hasn't come in the way that I thought that he ought to when when he's not speaking when I'm asking him questions I've just got to remember my understanding is limited I don't understand it but he does and so just as with our own children sometimes we do things in their life that they don't understand and they don't necessarily like but we know that the outcome is going to be for their good wow you don't like it when I bring it close to home do you because you're sitting there thinking I know I did this to my kid and I did this and this and this and it was for their good, and they didn't know it. And now here I am just kicking and crying and screaming because God's not doing something that I thought that he ought to do. Could it just be a possibility that our understanding is limited? 
and that we don't see the whole picture yet. I mean, how many of you have lived long enough as believers to know that there are those things that you have prayed for? And, and first of all, we've, we've prayed for a lot of things we didn't need. I mean, think about it. Some of you prayed to marry somebody. God, they're the ones. You met them in college or you met them in school. You know, you're, oh, Lord, I, I just, and you look back now and you say, thank God. I saw her the other day and she, no, I mean, I'm not going there. The second aspect is this, is that a lot of times, even after we have prayed and thought God did not answer, when we look back, we see what he did. I mean, if you have any perspective at all in your walk with Jesus, you've had that happen. And, and that's the third aspect here. Look in verse 39. said, Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister, said, Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he's been dead four days. Verse 41. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. Jesus begins a prayer. Let's jump down to verse 43. It says, Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. The third thing you've got to remember is this, is that our obedience brings the miraculous. It's out of obedience. Now, you may not always get somebody coming forth out of a dead situation. You know, if the marriage is over and everybody's moved on to different companions, that marriage is not probably going to go back together. If the business has utterly failed, that business is probably not going to be resurrected. But out of your obedience, God can still bring a miracle. You remember back in the day when we used to have hymnals? How many of you remember hymnals? Hallelujah. You really holy if you had hymnals. You know, in the back of the pew where... We could all, you know, we all used it for a receptacle for our used gum and papers and whatever we wouldn't leave at church. And, but we used to sing a song that said, trust and obey, for there's no better way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. I, I want to tell you that really is the truth today. There are those moments in your life where God's not speaking. In fact, the prophet in the Old Testament said, he said, I prayed and the heavens were as brass. I've prayed prayers that dribbled off my beard onto my shirt. They didn't go anywhere. It's like, God, really? I'm the preacher. I'm the holy man of God. It's like, it goes so big deal. It just leaves me hanging. But even in those moments, I found that if I would just trust and obey, 
my obedience will produce the miraculous. I don't always understand even how it works. I look back at the history of Love and Truth Ministries, and, 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 and as I see what God has done through the past you know, 25 years or so, I'm just going, I am astounded. I, I didn't plan this. I didn't, I didn't, you know, I wish I could say, oh, yes, I saw, I, I laid, I didn't. In fact, a lot of it was out of our greatest failures came the greatest blessings. I think in the life of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, something happened. Because you read just a, a little bit later encounter after Lazarus is risen from the dead. And it says that Martha served, Mary worshipped, and Lazarus sat in the presence of Jesus. I, and I got to close, but, but get that. When you go through one of these situations, it's going to produce something. It will either produce servanthood in your life. It will produce worship in your life. Or it will bring you to a place where you are so comfortable with the Almighty that you can just sit in His presence. Because you have found out in His presence is fullness of joy. And at His right hand are pleasures. Pleasures.